In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Matthew chapter 14, verses 30, 22 through 33. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and read. If you don't have your Bibles, um, you can find it on your iPhone probably, uh, or on the sermon notes. So take a minute and just go ahead and read through that. Matthew 14, verses Years ago, long before they had GPS, even before they had cell phones. I know some of you, what? Um, Gwen and I flew to Miami um, because my parents were on vacation there and they had to fly back for an emergency. So we flew down to Miami to drive their car back from uh, Florida. And so, we decided that we were going to take Alligator Alley across to the other side to Florida and then up that side. And so we knew where we were going. We had it all mapped out. It was all well planned. And, well, that's not entirely true. Um, nothing I've ever done has been entirely well planned. Um, but, but we got in the car and it was nighttime and we started driving down Alligator Alley and we lost the fan belt on the car. And so the battery died, you know. And so we're driving through Alligator Alley in pitch black. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a gas station somewhere. Well, if you've ever been down through Alligator Alley, there isn't a gas station anywhere. And so we're driving through there, and it's Alligator Alley. I'm thinking, I don't want to stop, <laughs> you know. Um, and so we just kept on driving. And every time a car would come up behind us, I would, you know, turn on the lights. So because I had enough of battery to turn on the lights so they would at least see us. And then as soon as they went past us, I tried to stay as close to them as I could to, to get to the next, you know. And if they would turn or do anything... I just kept on going straight. Um, the interesting thing, we weren't lost. I knew that I was on Alligator Alley, and I knew it was eventually going to lead us into Naples. Um, but things were definitely not going the way we had planned them. And that just sort of reminds me of the scripture today. The disciples were called out to go and... 
you know, they knew the sea. They were fishermen. They knew what had to be done. But things didn't go quite the way they had planned. And I think that much of the time in our lives, things don't always go quite the way that we had planned. And I think that today's scripture really sort of focuses on that. And as you go through the scripture, you can probably get all kinds of different um, lessons from it. Um, and I found it hard, these verses, not because they're hard verses to understand, but because there's such a familiarity with it. Even if you're not a believer, people are probably seeing a picture of Jesus walking on the water. You know, that's not something that's sort of uncommon. Um, but to, but as you see in here are three sort of three different things, at least what I got out of it. The first is that Jesus is praying. And he's always praying. And he's praying for us. In Hebrews it tells us that one of the things that Jesus is doing is interceding for us on a regular basis. So no matter what we're going through, even though we're praying, Jesus is praying also. The second thing is that he pursues. Uh, he pursues us. He pursued the disciples after he had sent them out into the, the lake. And then last, out of all of that, is praise. That they just develop a sense of praise. So, first of all, um, Jesus prays in verse 22 and 23. He pursues in verses 24 through 31. And then Jesus is worthy of our praise in verses 32 through 33. So, start with verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. So today's story begins immediately after he had fed the 5,000 or the 20,000. 5,000 men and then all the other people that were with him. So you would think that after that, the disciples would be pretty much on an emotional high. You know, we just fed all these people with, you know, this meager offering. So it's probably full of adrenaline and excitement. But before they could even reflect on it, Jesus says, get in the boat and go across to the other side. And that, that was immediate. Um, but do you notice something unique about that verse? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, and go ahead to the other side. Jesus sent them into the storm. Okay? Jesus sent them into the storm. Now, sometimes when we go through a difficult time or go through a storm, have you ever reflected back and said, what did I do? What did I do wrong? How come this happened to me? And sometimes we will carry guilt of a bad thing that happens to us or we go through some kind of storm thinking that it was our fault. The reality is, is that sometimes it has nothing to do with us other than God is sending us into a storm for whatever reason that he's going to accomplish. Um, once again, that's not a good evangelism technique. You know, I want you to know if you come to Christ, he's going to send you into storms. Uh, Sometimes we don't want to use that technique. Um, but he sent them into a storm. We'll get back to that in a minute. 
But then we are told that after he had dismissed the crowds, sent the people off, sent the disciples into the storm, he went up the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone. So finally, remember, the reason why he first went you know, across the lake was so that he could get alone. He had just heard that John the Baptist was beheaded. His disciples had been working. He was full doing ministry. And he goes, I want to go and be alone. I want to have fellowship with my father. I want to pray. And as soon as he got to the other side, the crowds had followed him, so he spent the day feeding them, healing them, teaching them. And finally, everyone is gone, and he goes up to pray. Um, and so you see, once again, that prayer, prayer, to use just a human term, is the engine of Jesus' ministry. That's what he does. And how we as a people think that we can survive in our lives without prayer being an active part of what we do, I think we're just fooling ourselves. I think we're just fooling ourselves. And it should bring comfort and assurance that when you find yourself lost or somewhere in Alligator Alley, uh, not going quite as it is planned, that in the midst of all that, Jesus is still praying for you. Um, so that's the first thing. Jesus is praying. Now look back to the disciples. They had no idea what was going on. They had no clue. Jesus had sent them ahead. They understood that when Jesus says something, you usually just go ahead and do it. Um, they had learned to trust, trust him, follow his directions. But I'm pretty sure that by following his directions, they didn't expect things to turn out the way they did. Okay, we're going to follow Jesus' directions. I know the clouds look a little rough over there, but I'm sure it's going to be clear sailing. Um, but in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The wind was against them. They had left in a boat early in the evening, and the boat was, the trip was only about five miles away. And it should have been an easy journey for the disciples, especially since many of them were fishermen, they knew the sea, they knew what was to do. It should have been an easy, uh, an easy row across the lake. We'll be there in no time. But in verse 25, it says, in the fourth watch. So at evening, they had been sent, early evening. Now it's the fourth watch, which is basically between 3 and 6 a.m. They're still rowing hard and getting nowhere fast. Um, and again, I just can relate to that. There are times when I've tried to solve a problem my way, and I can be going around in circles, and I'm going nowhere fast. Um, and so the waves are battering the boat. And the Greek word here is also used to describe torment, distress, and torture. Um, so these are these are sizable waves that are coming against the boat. So you get the picture of what these 12 men were going through. How would you feel if you were in this situation? You know, in every story, there becomes a point where you relate to somebody in the story. Whether you're relating to the hero, whether you're relating to the villain, whether you're relating to the, relating to the spectators, but there's something. So how would you, if you were in that boat, 
what would be going through your mind? Because you're wet, you're cold. That meal of fish and bread that you had a couple of hours ago is long gone. And probably the basket of food that you had left over is probably all you know, destroyed now too. And you're wondering, Jesus told me to do this and I'm doing it. Why am I going up against these waves? Why am I going up against this resistance? Where is, where is Jesus in the midst of this? Because he sent us ahead and he could have been here with us. But he, he's not even here with us. Um, so you just wonder, how, do you, how would you feel? And then add another element. Verse 25 and 26. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Again, I mentioned that earlier that Jesus had been praying for the disciples during this time. He's doing much more than praying. Jesus is now pursuing them. He's coming out to them. He's coming out to meet their need, to care for them, to calm their fears, to just be with them. But he came out walking on the sea. They already had enough to be afraid of. But nowhere in their wildest imagination would they have expected for Jesus to meet them in the middle of the sea and walking on water. Now, we've seen the picture so many times that it just seems normal. But for them, they, they would have never expected that. So their first impression is it's a ghost. It's a phantom. The Greek says phantom. Um... And the, the terminology here, again, says they were being shaken, upset, thrown into confusion and alarm by what they saw. They, they saw something that was beyond their ability to understand. And it was Jesus coming to them. Um, it's an easy thing to say, but not an easy thing to live. But God delights in doing the unexpected in our lives. He, he really does. He delights in doing the unexpected. To remind us how he's there providing for us even when we're not expecting it. He loves to do that. Now, you're going through a difficult time. It's not easy to walk up to somebody and say, don't worry about it. God enjoys doing the unexpected in people's lives. You know, again, not a real comfort at times. But the reality is that Jesus does that, God has done that throughout the scripture. That the way that we would think of things being done, he surprises us totally with the unexpected so that we can rely on him for our solution, our answers, and our faith. Um, so they didn't expect to see them. They didn't expect to see Jesus in the middle of the sea. Um, and I don't think we would have been any different. If we had been fighting that storm and then saw something out there, I think we also would have had a little bit of fear factor that would have entered into our life. Um, and so we as a people many times will chastise Peter 
we will question why are they afraid. Um, and that's times because when our lives are going pretty good, it's easy to praise God. And a lot of times we'll even hear it in our prayer requests or our, our conversation. Oh, I thank God that he did this. I thank God that he provided this. I thank God for he provided that. Very rarely do we say, I praise God for the storm that he's taken me through. Uh, very, uh, you know, I praise God for the difficult situation that I'm facing. facing. Um, but that's when no trusting that God is available and with us in all those situations. It's when we become fearful that we may even start questioning God. And when we do that, how does God response, respond? Um, and so Jesus immediately, again, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And it's been said, and I haven't counted them all, that there's 365 do not fears in the scripture or something close to that statement. So if you go through the whole year looking at day to day, do not fear or trust in the Lord or, you know, those verses that all give us those words of encouragement. And it's probably because God knows that we going through the experiences we go through on a daily basis, it'd be pretty easy to fear if we didn't have a God who was praying for us and pursuing us and guiding us and directing us. So he says, take heart. Uh, it is I. And what he's really saying there is he's using the same word that God used when he was talking to Moses when he says, who should I tell him sent me? He says, tell him I am sent you. And Jesus is using those same words. So it's again claiming his deity. Um... And Jesus cares for his people. He proves it there, but he's also proved it for each one of us. If we're sitting in this church today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it shows that God has loves you, prays for you, pursues you, cares for his people, brought about reconciliation between us and God. Um, you may think that sometimes Jesus has left or forgotten us in the storm but he's always there. Jesus didn't save us in order to forget us. You know, and I think sometimes we go, where are you, God? Did you forget me? No, he doesn't save us so he can say, okay, now who was that I saved? What, what, what are they going through? No. He's always there. Um, and Jesus, many times when people questioned or were going through difficult times, just reminded them to fear not. Um, but Jesus did not just pray. He also pursued and responded to the needs of the disciples. And so verse 28, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
Do you find it interesting how everything is immediately through this whole story? And immediately sent them, and immediately this happened, and immediately he saved them, and immediately he spoke to them. Um, but it's important to see where it's at verse 28 where it says, and Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. The if there is not a request. In the Greek, it's, it's an affirmation. It's saying, since you are Jesus, have me come out and, and meet you. So it's not quite my, if, because think about it. If he thought it was a ghost, you think he's going to really ask him, oh, by, if you're a ghost, have, let me meet you out there. I don't think so. So he's saying, since you are, have me go. And so he says, come. That's the exact same invitation that Jesus gives to each and every one of us. Maybe not to walk on the water, but to come, to be a part of his life, to let him change us, to transform us, to enter into fellowship with him, to be, experience his grace, to experience his forgiveness, to experience his love. So Peter does that. He gets out, walks on the water, and he's focused. He's focused. He's not looking at anything else but Jesus at that point. And how often do we do the same thing? You know, boom, we're there. I'm focused. And, it, and two minutes later, oh, the bear's starting in half an hour? Okay. You know, <laughs> I lost all focus. And, and that's just human. And so he starts to look at those things that he's afraid of, which under normal situations you should be afraid of, and he takes his focus off of Jesus, looks on that, and begins to sink. Now again, Peter's gotten a bad rap. But folks, I have yet in all my faith experiences ever walked on water. You know. And none of the other disciples got out of the boat. You know, they all stayed in there. And I take great comfort in there because I know that Jesus loved them just as much as he loved Peter. And I don't question the fact that Jesus, or that Peter, loved Jesus and had faith in Jesus. But at the same time, you know, it can be weak. And I think that's part of the reason why we need the body of believers. And sometimes we think we can do it alone. The whole purpose of the one-on-one, -on -one, the whole purpose of the prayer time, the whole purpose of digs, the purpose of many of the things we do is to get people connected in any way we possibly can provide an opportunity for people to get connected because there's going to be times when we're all going to struggle in our journey. And to have somebody else that comes alongside and that can pray with you, can share with you, can grow with you is huge. And if it's not even here at this church, Wherever you are, you find that group of people that you know can be that kind of support to you um, and care, care for you. So anyway, so Jesus invites him. Um, Peter faces that fear and goes down. But then Jesus immediately saves him. Immediately. As soon as Peter starts sinking, he calls for help. And as soon as he calls for help, the hand of Jesus is there. It's not, I 
Get back to me in a couple minutes. It's as soon as you call for help, Jesus is there. We can do the same thing. I think there's one big problem with our Christianity. Um, it's a, I think it's the one problem that keeps people from calling out for help. I think it's the one problem that people are afraid to even sometimes deal with God is because most of us don't want to be rebuked. Most of us don't want to be rebuked. We want to be praised. And so when Jesus says, Oh, Peter, you're doing so good. Well, why'd, you, why'd you take your eyes off of me? We fear rebuke more than we fear success. So instead of doing something on faith, we are so afraid of failure, we're so afraid of rebuke that we don't open our mouths, we don't take a step, we don't follow through. So we think, oh, you know what? I could witness to that person, but oh, yeah. You know, they might think I'm a jerk. They might rebuke me. I might be considered a holy roller. I might try, I will, I'm thinking about doing this but what if I fail? And if I fail, then what? And the unfortunate thing is when we stop using our gifts, when we stop doing the things that God wants us to do, we never be, we're not able to experience the miracles of God that go all around us. Instead, we sort of stay home in our you know, comfort instead of watching God work. I wasn't able to go last night to, jo to Joe's um, party, celebration. But I knew that there was going to be all kinds of people there that had not heard the gospel, had not heard Joe's story. And I know that Joe at staff had talked about the fact that he had hoped that God would give him the right words to speak, to be a witness to the people that were going to be there, to be, to be out there. And there were going to be some top executives. There was going to be all kinds of people who normally wouldn't be sitting in a bar like Bally Doyle's and at a party with the music um, that was going on. And yet, he had the opportunity to do that. It's just as easy to say, no, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to open my mouth because of what people might think. And so the reason why we don't cry out to God many times is because we're afraid of the rebuke more than we are looking forward to the blessing. Because um, people just don't want to be told that they failed. So Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith? Why did you doubt? But that leads us to the next verse. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So after he lifts them up, they get back in the boat, and it's not until they get back in the boat. They're still, you know, him and Peter are still going on the storm, on the waves. They get back in the boat, and finally it stops. And that's when they stop and they look and they go, Truly, you are the Son of God. Um, and notice again how the disciples respond when they see Jesus for who he really is. They start to worship. They praise God. 
They profess that Jesus really is the Son of God. They're professing that Jesus really is God himself. What the disciples needed most on that night wasn't relief from the storm. That's not what they needed. They needed to be able to see Jesus in all his glory. To get a glimpse of his majesty. For beholding that, that's when they are changed. When you can finally see God for who he really is, that's when the change starts to take place. They were in awe of what took place, and all they could do is worship. They felt their unworthiness, and they knew for certain that Jesus was worthy of their worship. John Piper, um, I don't even lost where that quote is. John Piper wrote, People are starving for the majesty of God. And the vast majority do not know it. For the majesty of God is an unknown cure for what troubles the soul. I've shared with others and others have shared with me the amount of pain that seems to be in our world. The amount of pain that people seem to be going through. And how they're doing things on their own to try to cover up the pain or solve the pain. Uh, and we will do almost anything to take away pain. But what really takes away the pain is when we finally recognize the majesty of God and we surrender to that. That's what takes away the pain. Um, the God who was full of power and majesty, who could still the storm, who could feed 5,000, who could raise the dead, who went to the cross for our sins, who shed his blood, who rose again from the dead, so that we could have life and have life eternal. That's the majesty of God. And until we really wrap our minds around that and wrap our hearts around that, we will continue to do the things we do. This week, as we come into Thanksgiving, it's very easy to just go through the same thing. But here you had 12 tired sailors who had been fighting the waves for nine hours, who now became amazed worshipers. God can do that same miracle in each one of us. You could have a tired worker. You could have a tired parent. You could have a tired father, a tired mother, a tired kid. You could have a tired, you know, whatever it is. But encountering God, that tired person, fill in the blank, can be an amazed worshiper. And this Thanksgiving, when you're thinking about it this week, I hope you are able to say, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, I'm hurting, whatever it is, that you're able to wrap yourself around the majesty of God and allow Him to truly cure whatever's going on in your heart or in your soul. And that this Thanksgiving will be a whole lot different because what we're thankful for isn't just the blessings, but, that, but the other things. Oh, okay. I, was, I didn't know if he was raising his hand. So, um, so, so that God can change us from tired fill-in-the-blank into amazed worshipers. The next week, next Sunday, um, we are, it's going to be very interactive. 
we're going to have an activity that people are going to do at their table. Um, so pick your tables well. No. Um, no, it's not going to be a contest. I'm just teasing. Um, but also, um, Ann, Ann Westrate is going to be sharing. Vince Gaddis is going to be sharing. I'm going to be sharing. And Anna uh, McQuaid is going to be also reading a story for the kids. So it's going to be very interactive and it's interspersed between all that sharing. Joe's going to be leading us in worship. So it's going to be just a fun, different uh, type of worship that's really focusing on uh, praise and thanksgiving. So I hope you can join us for the Sunday after Thanksgiving that we can continue with our thanks. Father, we do praise you and thank you uh, for today. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together to worship you. And Lord, we ask that you continue to minister to each and every one of us here. That we can go forth to minister to others. That you continue to reveal your majesty to us. But Lord, as you're doing that on a daily basis, open our eyes to it. Open our hearts to it. Help us not to so focus on the things that are, we're going through in life that we take our focus off of you. Help us to just be reminded on a daily basis that you're not accustomed to sending people away without meeting their needs. That you pray for us, that you pursue us. And that it's in our praise and our thanksgiving that we can experience the fullness of what that means. So make us worshiping people. Not just on Sunday, but as we go through our days, we go through our weeks, that we can constantly be reminded of how much you love us, your majesty, and that we can continue our worship um, on a regular basis. We thank you, we praise you, we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.